Welcome to the Fearless Year podcast. Where we're dedicated to helping ourselves. And you along with us. Break our codependent relationship with fear. I am Dr. Rebecca Heiss. And I'm Nathan Robinson. Together, we talk to experts about traits and skills and areas we hope to grow in as leaders of businesses, families, and communities. Skills and traits like creativity. The ability to confront. Empathy. And time management. Your Fearless Year is all about fearing less. And doing more. Let's dive in. Let's do it. Hey, folks, welcome back to the Fearless Year. I'm Nathan. And I'm Rebecca. And this morning, it's not morning. It's not morning. <laughs> but you know what? It's, it's this morning This afternoon, somewhere. it may be morning yeah. when you're listening. Uh, today, we have Dr. Gotham Gulati with us, otherwise known as Dr. G. Dr. G, welcome to the Fearless Year. Thanks. It's great to be here. Your background is fascinating. Like when I when I was looking at your name, I was like, there's so, so many M's after his name. So MD, MBA. MPH. So, Which is not miles per hour. I, right. I had to Google <laughs> we, it. We had, we had a quick little conversation about yeah. that. Um, but I, I mean, obviously a huge, wildly accomplished uh, individual, but I, I love your life model. So that's how I'm going to introduce you if you're okay. And then you can give us some background on who you are. Sure. But the, the motto that you have stated as your simple motto to live life by is go, be, do, right? Go to interesting places, be with interesting people, do interesting things. Mm. And uh, I, I just love that. So uh, thanks for, for going and being and doing the fun, fearless things with us today. Yeah. Th- yeah thank what, you. Yeah. yeah. What did we miss uh, about your background? What else would you add there? <laughs> well, I mean, there's obviously there's the academic credentials and there's everything that happens in between, but between what you actually study and do in real life. Um, I'd like to, you know, rather than giving sort of the long winded bio of things, I mean, I'm a polymath doctor. I'm actually a physician. I'm an internal medicine doctor who went off the beaten path a number of years ago. And so (laughs) very simply, if I look at all the things that I've done, um, if I were to wrap it up into one single sentence, I tell stories for a living. Mm. That's it. In every form and fashion of what I've done in my career, I tell stories for a living for different purposes and different objectives. so and we can we can unravel that unwrap that and, yeah i was you know, gonna say wait we need we need to dive into that <laughs> specifically because we asked you here today i mean of all of the background of all the credentials that you have we asked you here today because you're an expert in creativity right right and and as i'm i'm listening i'm looking at your bio and i'm like my gosh okay polymath doctor and does this, this and you tell stories so mm. so tell me about this the storytelling and how you use that in in your work yeah so um you know most people don't necessarily think of doctor and creativity or put them in the same sentence. True. Um, and it's actually something that I've battled with quite, quite for quite some time. Um, people have a preconceived notion of what a doctor is, and oftentimes it doesn't involve creativity. You don't want your doctor to be creativity. You know, right. creative when they're, <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> when they're working on you, right? So for good reason. Um, but that doesn't mean doctors can't be creative. And so um, I've sort of ventured into this world of storytelling um, as much of my career accidentally. And, uh, you know, at the earlier part of my career, I used to prescribe pills, um, you know, as treating patients and, and as a physician, you prescribe pills to help people heal. Uh, then as I got into the business side of healthcare, um, I started prescribing, you know, treatments in the form of products, right, mm-hmm. through innovation. And innovation is all centered around sort of my creative methodology. Uh, that I've somewhat established and took me on the sort of speaking circuit on the road and advising a number of organizations in terms of how to optimize for innovation. So I was prescribing pills, then prescribing products in the form of innovation. And then I realized that um, those things are great in treating illness, but it does very little 
uh, to really create behavior change. And the mm -hmm. missing piece to that was storytelling. Mm -hmm. And so it was there a way or is there a way that I could prescribe stories mm -hmm. so that patients can essentially heal? So I like to call it story as a form of medicine <laughs> so that others can collectively heal. I, I love the concept here because, you know, as as we talked just really briefly right before we started recording, you know, I'm, I'm an evolutionary biologist. So I think about stories as being this is this is the medium by which all information, all healing, all all things were, were conveyed. And so it's really powerful in, in our own brains, in our own minds um, and has an, an opportunity to, to really carry some weight. And the stories that we tell um, are often not the best ones, I, I think, but maybe I'm wrong. What what are you finding in that? Well, I mean, I, I think everyone has a story. Everyone has a story within them that needs to be told, right? Um, there is, uh, you know, we have a, there, there's a show that we have actually produced called Superhumans, which is about storytelling, um, you know, as a form of healing. And uh, oftentimes, I, I, let, me, let me back up a little bit. I had this incredible conversation with this famous photographer named Platon. If you look him up, he's, you know, probably photographed everyone you can imagine from <laughs> Mikhail Gorbachev to Barack Obama to George Clooney, Muhammad Ali, everyone in between. And I caught him off stage and I said, you know, there's something very magical in the picture that he takes. And I said, how do you get that moment? And he goes, the fallacy that people believe in photography is that they have to sit and wait for the right moment to come and be there to capture that shot. He goes, I don't go, I don't take that approach. He goes, for me to capture that single shot, I need to do hours of research on the person I'm gonna photograph. And then I think of something that they would imagine that I wouldn't necessarily know. I, I surprise them with the question. And at that moment, you get the authentic element of themselves. And so as I think about storytelling and you're, and you're in sort of a long, sort of a long answer to your question there in terms of how do you get the good story, the right story out, of individuals is um, you have to really study the person to know the right question to get that person to react in an authentic way. Hmm. And then you start to notice that they enter into flow state because rather than telling their story, they take you into their story. Mm. And you can actually feel it because you feel like you're in the scene and they start talking with I and they, 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 they describe the smells of the room as if you're there. And so that's how you sort of get them into that, into that vibe. I love that. I mean, it's, it's truly, you know, stepping into the truth of, of other people, right? It's doing the research It's stepping into that space first, instead of saying, wait, let me tell you something, or, or you should share this experience. There's a fire right there. It's like, oh, it, it's a very different thing to, to, see it in somebody else and be in that moment with them. You, you described it a lot more eloquently than I did. And so. oftentimes, if I could just sort of add to that, I mean, people tell stories, a good storyteller isn't telling the story for themselves or telling it for the person who's listening. Right. And just like a good piece of art, you never want to give the answer. You always, you know, it's kind of like how, um, how does I always butcher cliches, but like um, art is in the eye of the beholder, right? Sure. Um, and story is sort of in the ear of the beholder as well. And so you never, just like you would, you never want to give, the artist never reveals what the art is about. You want the person listening or watching the art or viewing the art to interpret it to however it relates to them as an individual. That's what good art is. And so a good storyteller tells a story in the way that lets the person listening to the story interpret it in whichever way has meaning to the person listening to it. That's, That's really hard to do. 
Yeah. It's really hard to do and, and challenging. I'm thinking like I'm thinking in medicine, you know, I just just tell me what to do. What pills do I have to take? What things do I have to do? Just tell me the thing. And to your point, I, we're not good at that. Let me kind of yeah, swing it. around from a different angle. We actually are really good at it in the sense that that's exactly what our neurons are designed to do. Right. The, the mirror neuron effect okay. in not not from the from the speaker, but the listener. Right. We're very good at mirroring and then entering into the story. We don't even have to try to. And, and so I think there's something really powerful there. And then I want to connect that idea to the idea of, uh, of back to medicine and even placebo. I'd love to hear you riff on, on this idea that when we believe a story strongly enough in medicine, it does something to our physiology that will literally give us, of, will give us results. Um, it's so much so that you know, people will go back and say, hey, can I have, I know this trial's over, can I have a refill? Oh, well, you, were, you were part of the control group. It doesn't I, matter. <laughs> just give me <laughs> give the, the blue pills because I take one every morning and I feel better. So do you have any insight into um, uh, how storytelling and placebo and all of that sort of intertwines with medicine? Yeah, I love that you brought that up. It's funny. I literally just this past week wrote a post uh, talking about play the part, act as if, you know, there's a number of different ways of, of sort of talking about it. But it's that sense of if you believe it, it can happen, right? It's that placebo effect um, that uh, that story can potentially have on, as a healing power. Um, you know, but you're but you're absolutely right. I think, you know, to a certain extent, obviously, as a physician, I know That's that right. there's 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 a role and a place for um, allopathic medicine and the pills and the interventions that we do. But in many circumstances, um, our phys I mean, if you were to track and measure our physiolo physiological responses um, in terms of attitude, you certainly see differences in terms of our biology and immunologic response as a potential for healing. If we think positive, it's just like the same thing. What we, what the reason why we tell people to keep gratitude journals mm -hmm. and you know, to, 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 to thank someone every single day, because that clearly has a physiological response to make us happier hmm. and make us feel more appreciative in terms of, of how we operate in our day. And the same stands for science as well, right? That same type of, if I were to take an fMRI or, you know, look at um, other types of um, um, vital sign measurements in terms of reactions or even our immunology response, you will see a, a, a direct correlation. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say causation, but you'll see a direct direct correlation that if I think I'm going to heal, like let's say, for example, you have an, an injury, you can sway progression in different ways. Because if I think positive, act positive, believe positive, um, my immune response functions as such. And therefore, you will, you will heal um, in, in, in sort of a, a similar fashion as well. So this is why I think the power of stories are absolutely huge. Um, because even if you do get some sort of, you know, physical intervention in the form of a pill or something else, still having that belief system can do you even better as a result. This is, I, I love this research. It's some of my favorite, you know, looking at, looking at the stories that we tell and how it affects our, our healing, how it affects our mindset, how it affects our day-to-day -day experience of life. And I, the pushback that I often get from people is like, well, what if I don't believe it? Like, I want to believe it really badly and I, I see the research, but even when I tell myself I'm going to heal deep down inside, I don't think it, I don't think it's going to happen. Mm. Do you, do you find that it doesn't, it doesn't even matter as long as they're still, you know, at some level believing and putting out those thoughts? Do you, have you studied that? Have you looked at that at all? 
Uh, I haven't looked at the, um, I mean, there's, there's a number of studies on it and it's hard to, because there's so many variable factors, it's hard to determine sure. what caused it, what's the effect or what's, what's the correlation. There's certainly studies that demonstrate correlation that right. you know, as a bulk sum, we don't know what the reasoning is, but thinking positive, believing, you know, a certain outcome can get you to that outcome, whether you even look at it from a scientific medical standpoint, or even from like a business perspective, right? If you believe you're going to succeed, right. the odds are you do. Now, if you don't, we tend to justify it in other ways and find excuses. If we do, then we attribute it to, well, I thought positive the whole way, therefore mm -hmm. I made it, right? So you never truly know the answer. Um, but the way I like to think of things is, especially with placebo effect, as long as there's no harm associated with thinking that way, then why right. not? Yep. Right? That's mm -hmm. great. Yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be like, all right, I broke my leg. Right. And I'm gonna try to will myself into Just, healing it. Like, yeah. no, yeah. like, like right. you have to, you have to go a certain level. But at, at the same time, if there's no downside risk to thinking that way, then why not? Yeah. yeah. I think it's good. Even even if there's a part of you, sort of your your BS meter is still going off a little bit. Even if that's sort of your skeptic mind, uh, even to yourself, you can say, "All right, all right, all right. I I get it. But what's the harm?" And right. in and in that way, you tell yourself a story that becomes one that you're willing to listen to, and then your brain fires up. It does what it's supposed to do, and then we're off to the races. Anyway, that was <laughs> we dove straight down the rabbit hole of of storytelling, which I love. So my background is English literature and composition and education, and now in creative media and whatever else I do. Uh, but the definition we skipped right over is the definition of creativity itself. Do you have sort of a working definition or as you think about creativity, how would you define that? I would probably say, I mean, if I were to, I've thought about this in the context of innovation quite a bit, but mm -hmm. I would say creativity is probably a combination of several things, but it's bringing something new into this world. Mm -hmm. It's going from potentially lower value to higher value in terms of its, um, you know, the, for the person receiving uh, the, the art on the other piece of the, uh, on the other end, whatever that art may be. Um, it's a mindset. It's a way of thinking. Um, it's something that can be learned, which oftentimes is a very, uh, we're happy to hear that. Debatable <laughs> I'm thing. happy to hear that. Yeah. Um, and I think it's something that we're, we're often assumed we all have, but we're not taught how to be creative. So I, mm. I certainly, you know, a lot of my focus is around this concept of deliberate creativity. Like how can we essentially be more, if, if you want to come up with better ideas, how can we be more deliberate in our process to be able to do that? Because we all hear these little, you know, popularized cliches that says ideas are a dime a dozen. It's about the execution. Mm -hmm. But the truth of the matter is executing on a bad idea is a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Right? right. But we don't train people how to come up with good ideas. And so mm -hmm. it's a creative process that I think we need to do a better job at in terms of, of um, understanding how to how to better innovate. Yeah, I mean, look, as, as long as we are going down this rabbit hole, this next rabbit hole, we're going to keep going down it because I, I am personally um, one of those who was told from a very young age that I wasn't very creative, right? Mm. I, I am a science person, so I adopted that story. And I was like, that's what I do. Okay, now I will be science. I will be logic. I will be analytical. I will be this. And, um, and yet, I truly believe that I have a little spark of creativity in me. And so I want to grow in that. And mm. so if you were to teach 
this is your classroom now. Mm-hmm. Um, Nathan is another shared expert here, but I, I desperately need this information. How, how is it that we can become more creative? Are there maybe like two or three tips, really simple strategies oh. that you could give us? Yeah, for sure. But before I give you that sort of methodology that I have, yeah. I, I want to hear your definition of creativity. I'm sure you've probably asked that question a number Whoa. of times. Yeah. So, so I'll, I, um, actually I'll, I'll plug a, a couple of friends of mine have a podcast and I was, I was actually on their podcast talking about creativity. So I was in your, in your, in awesome. your shoes. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, I, I borrow and steal a lot of the definitions that I have baked in, whether I remember where it came from or not. But what I like is, first of all, my contention in the podcast and one of the one of the other hosts, his contention was that he was not creative, right? That was his his thesis, his story. And I was sort of pushing on that and saying, I, I think you are. I think I think we all have this creative capacity. And so my definition is or has to do with taking inputs that anyone has access to, right? Our our culture, our stories our shared wisdom, our facts, whatever it is, taking information that we all have access to and recrafting, repositioning, or repackaging it in a way that someone else isn't, right? So in a, in a fresh way, so that when someone else has a chance to look at it, they look at it differently. It makes them go, oh, okay, oh, I had access to all this, but you wrote that novel, wrote that song, but also you wrote that PhD thesis, you helped that woman, um, you know, who had sort of chronic fatigue, you know, get to a, a, a place uh, where she felt more empowered or, or healthier or whatnot. We all had access to these things, but you repackaged them in a way that was fresh and made me hmm. think differently. Ditto. No, <laughs> no, I, I actually, it's funny because as you were saying that, I was like, oh, he's going to say exactly what I wanted to say. And and it's similar. I, I think of creativity as being the ability to reframe situations mm-hmm. or reframe content or reframe information, um, you know, whether that's through a medium like photography that, that raises curiosity, that kind of incites a, huh. Yeah, moment like for people um, and for yourself. I think huh. to me, that's, that's what it's all about is going, huh, hmm, okay. Uh, so how that comes out is, I'm not sure. I that, mean, I guess that's in a- interesting because I always feel like there's this debatable camp of like, is there such thing as a truly original idea, mm. right? Or is everything everything like. that we've conceived of <laughs> right. some sort of reconfiguration of other things that exist put into a new way, right? Like this. Sure. You know, I, I think David Eagleman talks about the concept of uh, blending, breaking, and Blending, breaking, and bending, I think, are the three mm. different ways of, of reconfiguring old stuff into new stuff. Um, right. And our brain, I mean, it's not not the fault of the brain. We think it's new. We think it's, we, we have this discussion all the time. I'll say something and I'm like, that's totally new. And we look back through our notes and, no, Nathan oh, said it that, like we four idea. weeks ago. Right. Like, oh, man. Or, <laughs> or, yeah, or we just, we just had the idea before and it's like, and then forgot about it. <laughs> Well, I guess, oh. I guess, that's I guess, more a bigger, taking. that's what that is. I guess a bigger meta question to ask is, does it matter if it's new? As long mm. as it's useful and it's You're, providing right. some sort of value to something, right. does it matter if it's truly right. new? Well, and it's fascinating too, because what, what we keep stumbling up against is we're trying to constantly create new content, new content, bigger, better, different interpretations of, and in reality, um, often what people crave the most is uh, stuff they're familiar with. Right? We go back and we re-watch the same Netflix shows. We re-listen to the same podcasts. We're getting the same ideas mm-hmm. consumed from, you know, I mean, listen, I, I love the man to death. Simon Sinek has so much great stuff. 
It's the same stuff that has been talked about in leadership mm, for years, sure. repackaged. That's right. I'm not doing anything different. I'm not selling anything different. It's it's all just a re a new lens to look through, I guess. Yeah. Um, and yeah. however you want to consume that information. Studying English and, and writing in literature and whatnot, thinking about the words, right? My mind, when you said, does it really matter or is anything really original? Like in my head, I hear the little voice. Well, it depends on how you define original. <laughs> Right. Because if original means, you know, creation out of nothing, right, ex nihilo creation of something completely novel, then I would say probably not. There, there probably aren't any of those. But if you're if you're bending, breaking or like responding to context, right, without the context of, of what has come before, hmm. you can't have anything novel or you can't make sense of it, even if it were truly original. I like this rabbit hole. So no, Nathan, I've got something. So I was a English lit major and nice. creative writing major. Nice. And so, and I used to write poetry, do a lot of slam poetry. So the way people, the way poetry is defined is it's the uncommon arrangement of common words. Mm. Okay. So the way I like to think about, again, I guess this is just <laughs> non-original creative thinking as well, uh, but <laughs> Innovation, the way I define innovation, is the uncommon arrangement of common ideas mm. yep. instead of common words, right? It's mm -hmm. like poetry in the form of, of creative innovation. Mm. Huh. Um, and so that's kind of how I define uh, define innovation. I don't want to forget your question there. So, uh, you know, your, your question was related to, um, is there some sort of process to the madness in terms of, of, of creativity? Um, I think creativity, there's so many different elements to creativity. So I'm just going to focus on one little area. Perfect. Um, and that's how do you how do you know this concept of good versus great, a good idea versus a great mm. idea, right? Is it good enough? How do I know it's creative enough? Um, and I've got a very simple definition. I'm not going to go scientific like Jim Collins does in his Good to Great versus book, right. but but good is when I believe I produce something of value, but I still have to sell it to someone else. I still have to convince someone else it's a good concept or an idea. Great is when the idea is good enough that people will come to me to seek mm. the idea or the concept or the art. And so the big question is, is how do you go from good to great so that people want to seek out and consume what it is that you've produced versus mm. having to convince others, look what I produce, go you know, consume it. So um, how do you go from a good to a great idea? Um, so I've got this sort of very simple methodology um, where what we don't often start off with enough is asking what the critical essential question is that we're trying to solve here. And if you think of the critical question that's in your head, whatever that might be that you're trying to be creative about, how do I produce this piece of art, this technology, create this device, develop this product, have, and then you develop that critical question and then you let it consume your life for however long that may be. If you've got a day to come up with a great idea, great. If you've got a year, great. But you have to then view the world from the lens of that question. And mm. as you do that, you start to notice things about how to solve for your question in ways that you otherwise wouldn't have solved before. And I've got a whole suite of different tools that you can utilize um, in order to be able to do that as you observe the world. And then that gets you to what I call an MVI your minimal, minimum viable idea. So we've probably heard like Eric Reese talk about minimum viable product. Sure, sure. That gets you to your minimum viable idea. So you've got your essential question, you, you obsess over that question 
and you view the world with that lens, you're going to come up with several ideas. They're probably not great ideas. They're probably good <laughs> ideas. Right. Then you take that idea and just like you would with a product, you iterate and prototype on top of that. And then eventually you get to your great idea. But most people don't spend that much time with their ideas. They don't spend that time to be that deliberate around their creativity. Right. I, I think that's that's a really good point. And I know from from my experience, I'll lock into a product or to a service or to this thing that I want to do. And I don't spend enough time with the iteration, with with seeing or with the critical question, really, with going and saying, wait, why why do I offer this service? Why am I trying to create this product? What's the why behind it? And then seeing the world through that lens, I think that's so important. I, you know, speaking of storytelling, as you're as you're going through, I'm literally putting on a pair of glasses, you know, and thinking about my day to day through the lens of, okay, how does this, how does this question even arise when I'm making coffee? How does this arise when I'm interacting with individuals throughout my day? I I love that. I love that. I mean, a, a lot of this thinking stemmed from facilitating and moderating innovation workshops for different companies. And you, you probably, you've probably seen this happen. The way you get invited in, and you're like, oh, we're going to brainstorm today. We're going to come up with a list of ideas. And then we're going to you know, vote on them. And by the end of our session of three hours, we're going to execute on one of these. And that's going to be our strategy going forward. I have yet to see anything decent come out of that process. Mm -hmm. Because they go into it not essentially knowing what they're actually trying to solve for, and they mm. they come up and they come up with the assumption that everyone who comes into that room knows how to come up with a good idea, and they don't. And they all, you know, this no, they're you know, from my standpoint, bad ideas do exist. There are crappy ideas in this world, um, and so you go into like a meeting. Like think of every meeting we've had. There's it serves one of two purposes. Either it's informational. I'm going to share with you you know, what we're doing for the day and so forth. And it's just pure information or it's trying to solve a problem. Right. And if you're trying to solve a problem that requires create creative thinking. And our assumption is that everyone sitting around our table who's there to help solve that problem for us knows how to creatively think. And they try to come up with ideas on the spot. The best thing that you could possibly do in those meetings is say, I'm going to pose the question. We're going to come back in three days. Yeah. And then talk about solutions to it and come up with the ideas because then you've given them enough time to obsess and let that question marinate for some time. That's, I mean, so again, this is this is me being analytical and and um, logical about this, but I'm like, okay, so what's the time frame? Like, do you do you have an ideal time frame? Because with me, I would sit there for an hour and say, okay, well, that's that's enough, or a day, or three days, or then maybe sometimes weeks aren't enough time. And so, how do you know? Like, all right, I have enough ideas. I have enough. What's what's a tangible thing that I can say? Yes, this is going to be a great idea because I've I've taken this amount of time to. I, I think there's I don't think there's a simple answer to that. Yeah, I, mean, I was afraid I, of that. I, I am now. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I'll give you That's an example fair. right now. I, I'm working on an idea that I asked myself the question of probably six years ago. Mm. I mean, it can be that long, yep. right? And and the timing just happens to be now because we're going through the pandemic, right? But it happens to be related to. Um, how do I essentially create an opportunity to manage and care for myself at home without having to go to any health institution? Now, mm. we've accelerated and amplified that during the pandemic. So that idea has now come about and makes it more realistic. But six years ago, it didn't make sense. It's really it's it's difficult to hear, honestly, for people like me that are like, good. Now, what's the rule? <laughs> but but it's I mean, that's two literature, creative, creative writing right. uh, people here. We're like, yeah, just sit with it. 
<laughs> just live that story and then and then and what then about you'll know. this yeah well let but me do give, you no. know let me give a let me give a general heuristic maybe maybe if it's the more important the idea the more time it needs yeah yeah, yeah, yeah sure, sure. Right. I mean, okay. if I'm making a decision about what we're having for dinner tonight, I don't need to sit there and mull over <laughs> that question for three days. I'll start. Mm -hmm. yeah. I don't know. I think yeah. about that for a long time. So there's a good example. There's there's two sides to, to each piece here, because on one hand, the decisions for for dinner, like the stakes seem reasonably low. On the other hand, what about this? The question of how do I provide holistic health for my body and the body and lives of the people in my house. I have four kids, nine and under. There's the the sort of the question that I could obsess over. I could think creatively and holistically so that when I get to the question of, of dinner, sure, on a micro level, it's it's not that big of a deal. But on a macro level, it, I might have been obsessing about that for a couple of years. Just, anyway, that's, there's that no just, question. I, I'm there. immediately just... going like into neuroses on that. Like yeah, I would be obsessing about my food and oh, oh okay. gosh. We also don't. We also don't think about the question often enough. So I, I wanted to just mm. give a, a, a so so a, a great example is, is Google from a number of years ago. You probably all heard of like the companies that do like all this concierge service and they offer sure. like dry cleaning and we'll we'll order your food and have it ready. Well, we have Google to thank for that because in the early two thousands, um, they asked a question. The executive team asked the question of like, how do we how do we get more product? How do we squeeze out more productivity from our mm. employees? Right, which is probably a question that every company wants to achieve, and that they could have said like, well, you know, the simple answers are, well, let's let's um, you know have healthier foods on campus, let's get them exercising more, or whatever it might be, um, you know, to increase productivity, or let's look at their timesheets and look at their projects that they're on, um, and they pose this question to the HR division, and the HR division spent three months trying to come up with the right question, and you know what question they came up with was. How do we get each and every one of our employees to live two years longer? Wow. Now that hmm. shifts your entire approach to how do you <clears throat> conceive ideas? Yeah. And so what they started noticing, for example, is productivity would drop off at like three in the afternoon. And uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> Right, because you know your mind starts to wander. You're you're yep. at work, and especially if you've got kids in a family, like who's what are we gonna eat for dinner? Who's picking up the kids from school? Do they have sports tonight? So your mind wanders, and so there's a there's a cliff in terms of productivity. So they said, well, how do we serve whatever is wandering on people's minds during that time? Relieve them from that, mm. and we'll increase productivity as a result. So mm. the solutions that they developed were drastically different by asking that different question. I love that. I think you're absolutely right. We just don't consider the question enough. It's it's a it's often a, an important reframe. Yeah, because again, it, yeah. I'm going back to diet. So my wife and I are doing like a modified version of the whole thirty. That's why it's that's that's the lens that I'm seeing through right now. Um, you know, we're we're okay with legumes. Um, the dark spirits that legumes apparently inhabit don't inhabit our gut, so it's fine. <laughs> um, I don't know what your opinion is on sort of whole thirty. We don't have to go there. My point is, <laughs> the the wrong question would be. How do we lose weight and yes. you know whatever? How, how do yeah, how do we totally. right? And the right question is, you know, again, how how do we have a healthy relationship with food mm -hmm. in a way that we enjoy what is meant to be enjoyed, but we also enjoy foods that then in turn nourish and bless our bodies. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's that that essential question is so is so. That's powerful. exactly right. Yeah, I'm curious about how you fell into these questions, the, the art, as it were, of asking the right question, of finding that critical question. Like what, what drew you to your work in creativity to begin with? 
I'm obsessively curious. I mean, if you could just, if you just track my career, like I don't chase an object, I chase curiosity. That's what I do. That's, I mean, I don't have a simple answer to say, how did you get to doing what you do? I just, sure. I just pursued what was interesting to me, going back to the whole go be do, right? Um, I use that as a filter for the things that I pursue and where I go and what I do. And if I, you know, I just trust, I just trust in the, in knowing that if I pursue what I'm curious about, I put my energy and effort around what it is that I'm curious about, then there's potentially an opportunity um, around that. And, you know, luckily to date, every part of my career has been just chasing one element of curiosity after another. But, you know, in that process, it's just taken me, um, I get bored very easily. So it's taken me down a very uncomfortable path. And I think by nature, if you take yourself in uncharted territories, you have to figure out how to creatively solve and creatively think. Mm. It just comes, it just comes with that territory. So it's all, again, just all sort of all accidentally. And I, as someone who's an innovation person, I think in patterns. Mm. So I obsess about, well, why did I get curious about that? Or if I'm <laughs> curious about that, yeah. like, and so then I start thinking about, well, how have other people, you know, thought about the same thing? And so I look for patterns of creativity and why people go down certain pathways. And I don't know, it's a, it's hard to explain, I guess. No, I mean, you actually answered two questions in that because, you know, the, as you know, the, the title of this podcast is The Fearless Year, right? We, we talk about being fearless, having control over fears, being conscious of what's actually driving us. And I think you said so eloquently, eloquently there um, that when you're pursuing curiosity, it's not comfortable. Right. It's often like taking you down roads that, oh, gosh, do I really want to go here? Or do I can I mm. can I do that? But I I mean, I'm assuming from what you just said that this has been a fairly rewarding pathway for you. Chasing curiosity is actually less daunting. I hate this notion where people say just fi just find and pursue your passion. Mm. Like that's a right. heavy that's a heavy ask. Right. So yeah. a lot of people then just fold under feeling like, well, I don't know what my passion is. Therefore, I, I can't bingo. go anywhere. Yeah. But mm -hmm. curiosity is like it doesn't matter. You can be curious about it. Uh, you spend a little time with it. If you don't like it, move on to something else. But passion feels like a commitment, right? Right. And then you're like, you spend all this time with it. And if it doesn't, if I don't commit, then I just failed and wasted all this time. Whereas curiosity just makes it just more, I don't know, it just feels more doable and tangible. Yeah. And I wish he'd been my high fearful. school guidance counselor. Like, seriously. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Like, chase your passion. I don't know my freaking passion. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. What right. am I, I good at? What, am I... what are you passionate about? Like, I hate Nothing. That. I mean, really passionate about something for like a week. I, I think often, at least for myself, my pursuit of curiosity and my pursuit of creativity can land me in trouble. Uh, you know, I, I think often I get distracted easily. And so I'm wondering if you have if you have any of that in you, how, mm. how you've dealt with that to make sure that you're actually pursuing something that is helpful yeah. and useful and not just pulling you in a thousand different directions. Yeah. Is there, is there a dark side of creativity? And, and if so, how do we watch out for it and, Ooh, and what do we do about it? Good one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I, I mean, part of, part of what I feel you're asking me, I, mean, I don't know if you guys have read Tim Urban's blogs. Oh my gosh. Live, I love but, Tim Urban. <laughs> but I, I've, I've got a pretty big monkey in my brain. Um, yeah. That distracts me all the time. And I've got that panic monster in there as well. Um, I think that's I think that's a struggle with a lot of creative folks, right? Like people who are in the business of creativity, right? That's part of you know how do how do you know when to table one thing? Um, 
and 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 move on to another. I, I don't like to say that you need to just go all in and focus on one thing because I think part of the process of creativity is being able to dabble a little bit because you get some inspiration doing different things. So sometimes I'm working on one thing and then I have to switch gears to something else and then I come back to the other thing and new ideas have sparked as a result of that. Um, I, I, um, I don't know if I have a formulaic solution in terms of how to solve for um, <laughs> getting rid of that monkey brain between different <laughs> projects. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I, I getting a project to the point of getting reactions um, certainly helps, right? Because other, otherwise then you just sort of sit in the state of paralysis of mm. I've got 20 things going on simultaneously, nothing has actually shipped. Right. So we see a lot, you know, Austin Kleon has written, you got to ship, you got to, you got to ship the work. Right. Yeah. Seth yep. Godin writes about it. You got to ship the work. So um, I try to always keep that in the back of my mind that um, there's no point in being creative if it's not serving someone else. So if I'm not shipping, then mm -hmm. what's the point? We're we're definitely coming up on towards the, the end of our time. We want to be respectful of yours. We've got a, a couple other questions. If you could give advice to your eight year old self, what would that advice be when it comes to creativity? To my eight-year-old self? Yeah. Um, so you could reach back. Stop worrying about what other people think. Ugh. I mean, I, I think that's been a through line throughout my whole career. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I didn't have that trajectory and turning point until I was like 28. Hmm. Um, way late in life. Um, and I was, I was always consumed about other people's expectations of me, especially as a doctor, right? I mean, it's, it's hard to sort of break free from that element. But um, I've had... Um, yeah, I mean, my eight year old, I would definitely tell him just don't worry about what other people think. Just do what you feel is right. And what makes you curious. I, I feel like every eight year old in the world needs that advice. And, and I, I wish, I mean, shoot, every 28 and 38 and 48 and 58 year old person needs that advice. Yeah. I, I, I wish there was a simpler way for us to wrap our heads around that. I mean, our school systems aren't designed that way, right? It's like, this is right, or this is oh, wrong, or you're right. creative or you're not. Or you I mean, we, fail. <laughs> right. Like, let's, Go we're science gonna, or art. What are you going to do? Right? We're going down a big rabbit hole here, but yeah, our whole educational system is completely screwed up when it comes to, you know, serving creativity and serving the the possibilities of what can be versus the assumption of what is and what shouldn't be. Yeah, yeah, you're talking to two recovering uh, educators. <laughs> it's a it's a really important question yeah. and and important for our listeners to consider. You know what what stories? As long as we're talking about stories, but like what what stories were you taught in in educational in your in your educational upbringing, right? Of you're succeeding at this, you're failing at that, you're good at that, you're not good at that. Um, you know, so often those shape us in, in not so helpful ways. What's one surprising thing that you think most people don't know about creativity? Well, we touched on the notion that creativity can be learned. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's extremely important. As it relates to that, it sort of just comes top to mind. That just as creativity can be learned, creativity can be unlearned. And... Um, if I were to sort of elaborate on that a little bit is it's just like a muscle atrophying. Mm -hmm. If you don't use it, it will go away. And I don't think people think about that often enough that if we don't continuously try to exercise that muscle of creativity, it can get unlearned and it can go away. And I think that's why even with going back to the kids education, it's important for us to keep that going because they can unlearn it over time. And as adults, they're gonna think that they're not worthy enough or not capable enough, or I'm going back, circling back to our original conversation. I'm not the creative type. 
right? Mm-hmm. Because that's how the world sees me because I've unlearned it and I've been taught that over time. That's a that's great, that's a great way, great way to wrap it up. So, uh, thank you so very much for being on the podcast Dr. with us G. today. So yeah, if there are, I'm absolutely certain that the audience is going to want to learn more about you and what you're doing and all of the exciting creative pathways that you're pursuing. Is there a spot that they can reach you or, um, find out more about what you do? Uh, yeah, you can go to imdrg.com. So I-A-M-D-R-G.com. I-A-M-D-R-G.com. All my information is there. From there, there are tentacles into everything else that I'm doing. So that's probably a good place to start. Nice. So I have, I have one last thing. Uh, at the very beginning, when you talked about storytelling and creativity with being a doctor, uh, the image that flashed into my head was of uh, Dr. House. Right. So, so is that sort of your process, uh, sort of a a house situation? Now that you brought that up, that is kind of what internal medicine is. It's investigative medicine. Mm. And Dr. House, of course, took it to extremes in terms of the examples that they use for drama in the show. But um, 90% of medicine is listening to the story Mm. that the other person tells you and asking the right questions. You don't have to do all these, run all these tests and everything. Most of what you, most of, the patient is telling you their entire diagnosis just by mm. listening to their story. We just don't spend enough time doing that. Mm. And we make money off of procedures and tests, yeah. right? So right. why would we spend that time? So, yeah. Well, oh, the throwaway the throwaway quip that we had at the beginning was, oh, you don't want your doctor to be creative with your health. But actually, yeah, you, do. you do. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you do. Uh, my, my partner's a, a veterinary surgeon and he's constantly saying, I'm not, I'm not, I wish I was creative. I'm not creative. I'm, not. I'm like, dude, you open up a patient that cannot talk to you. Mm-hmm. You find a problem that you did not anticipate and you yeah. have to find us. That's creativity. Mm-hmm. I think. True. Yeah. But, yeah. That's true. Anyway. Dr. G, thank you for indulging that I last know. question there. <laughs> Thanks for having me. This is fun. Thanks right. so much. Take care. You already know The Fearless Year is a podcast, but it's also a community of people looking to live more fearless lives just like you. The Fearless Year pod course is an on-demand resource built around our biggest learnings from the topics covered on the podcast. Each chapter includes additional tools, commentary, downloads, and prompts to further your own fearless journey. You'll also get free access to the Acuity 360-degree self-awareness app on iOS or Android. Finally, subscribing to the pod course also means that every month you will get a hard copy fearless bullet journal in your physical mailbox. This bullet journal has one month of planning pages to chart your day, do personal reflections, respond to challenges from the fearless year, chart your personal growth, and customize it to fit your productivity style. Check out all the levels and details at myfearlessyear.com. Again, check it out at myfearlessyear.com.